0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number eight of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, sponsored in part by one of my favorite websites in the world, the Mandolin Cafe. All right, and here we go with episode number eight of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, this week, Jared Walker is the guest, Billy Strings, mandolin player. What a great guy. Um, geez, we talked a while before the podcast started and talked a while after the podcast. Uh, it's a great conversation. Um, Jared, this week is the IBMA Awards, and he's nominated for the Momentum Player of the Year. So that's exciting. So send him some good vibes here as you're listening to this podcast We should know the winner of that here, I guess, probably by the end of this week. And then in in more exciting news, you know, too, the Billy Strings album, Home, comes out on Friday. So wherever you get your music, be sure to check that out. Not sure when you're listening to this podcast, but September 27th, Friday, September 27th is the date it comes out. So be sure to check that out. Um, It sounds incredible from all the tunes that I've heard so far. Speaking of Billy Strings, hey to everybody who came over from the Billy Strings fan page on Facebook. I posted a link that we are doing this podcast here and i got a lot of love over there so thank you guys so much for um stopping over and for all the likes on the post and the kind words be sure to hit subscribe if this is your first time listening and tell your friends um you guys are an incredible fan base of people so uh i really appreciate any of you who came over and listened thank you so much um another album that comes out on the 27th by the way is gina furtado's new album she's an incredible banjo player and um, I'm actually playing a show with her, opening for her at the end of November here in Charleston, South Carolina, and I can't wait. And her guitar player in her touring band is uh, Drew Madalich, who played mandolin with Billy Strings um, for a few years. So cool tie-in there. So check out her new album as well, and, um, and there we go with that. Thank you to Scott Titchener from last, last week's episode, Mandolin Cafe. Some of you noticed... There was some uh, some some sound quality issues there with Scott's phone line, and unfortunately, I didn't notice it when I was talking to him, and uh, noticed it when um, editing the podcast. So I tried my best to 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 make it sound a little bit better, but unfortunately, the phone the phone connection that we had wasn't too great. So I apologize about that. I know Scott felt a little bad for it too. So maybe we can talk Scott into doing a part two um, after he comes back from the uh, Nam convention, which is a big musical instrument uh, music merchant convention that they hold in um los angeles area at uh, the beginning of every year and they introduce all the new mandolin stuff and all, all the new stuff from all all types of things and he also messaged he messaged me at had a great Thiele story that he forgot to talk about so i think that's a great reason to have maybe a part two so i'll message scott and see if we can't make that happen he's a great guy and again they're a proud sponsor of this podcast and i couldn't be more excited about that um I got a couple new Patreon people I want to give shouts out to. Mark Krakauer and Tom Cox, thank you guys so much for following me on Patreon. I got a couple new videos going up there that I'm recording this week. One is a little bit of a pinky stretching exercise that Aaron Weinstein talked about. And then also... um, Uh, Back earlier when we first did this podcast with David Benedict, he talked about the book Jazz Shapes, and I've kind of modified an exercise that I learned off there. It's a pretty cool musical-sounding exercise going from C major 7th, C major, C major 7th, C major 6th triads and back um, in a picking thing. So I'll put that up there as well, and the tabs are always there too. So I've got a couple different levels you can support me on the Patreon page. And I also have a um, bunch of merch Got more shirts just shipped from Five Star Screen Printing Plus. Um, they, they did some great work on some shirts, and he sent me some hat samples. I'm going to put some pictures of those hats. Tell me if you guys think you'd be interested in getting the hats. They look great. Um, I think we might go with a little bit of a different background on the one, but thank you so much to Matt over there at Five Star for, for sending those samples. They look awesome. And you can go and check out the shirts, stickers, and koozies that I have available at mandolinsandbeer.com uh, if you want to support this podcast. Again, though, the easiest way to support this podcast, the cheapest way, the freest way, is to just hit subscribe um, and and uh, tell your friends. Share it onto your social media. Uh, it's just been an overwhelming ride so far. The numbers go up every week, and I, I'm really appreciative. There's also a contact form there, too, so feel free to drop me a line and recommend some mandolin players you like to hear. I got some great ones coming up Jake, Jake Jolliffe, I got Mike Marshall, Matt Flinner, and Tommy Morrison from Barefoot Movement all coming up here in the next few weeks. So those are some heavy hitters, and they were some great conversations as well. They're already recorded, so I can't wait for you guys to hear them. I've also got a brand new sponsor this week a fellow mandolin player. He plays octave mandolin, a guy named Scott Enlow. Uh, he's a woodworker. And he creates these killer handmade picking stools that are uh, crafted in the shape of mandolins. He sent me the pictures, and they are awesome looking, man. He is a uh, boat builder. It's, he has a website, scottsboatworks.com, or you can reach out to him at Scott Enlow Woodworking on Facebook. Uh, these things are great, and he uh, sent me this little note here. They're built with the finest hardwoods, detailed with inlaid strings, bridge, tailpiece, and sound holes. One-of-a-kind stools as unique as your own picking style and add that special look to your practice room or performance space. These things are high-quality looking. Um, Scott's obviously super talented, so go over there and check it out. It's scottsboatworks.com or Scott Enloe, E-N-L-O-E, woodworking on Facebook. And I asked Scott how you say Enloe, and he was kind enough to send me a video. It was hilarious. So thank you, Scott, and thanks for sponsoring this episode. And last but not least... All the songs that are discussed um, and played samples of during this podcast are on a Spotify playlist. It's the Mandolins and Beer Spotify playlist. And it is updated every week with songs that are discussed on this podcast. And go and check that out and follow it. I update it every week. So let's get into the conversation with Jared, y'all. Once again, just a reminder, they have a brand new album coming out on the 27th of September called Home. It's going to be incredible. I'm excited. Go see them live. The tour is Looks like a is pretty much sold out, but if you can get tickets, get tickets now before the show near you sells out. Thanks again for listening. Hit subscribe and cheers, everybody. All right, so now I'd like to welcome to the podcast Mr. Jared Walker. Jared, how you doing?
1: Hey, doing great. How are you doing?
0: Great, man. Thank you for taking the time today and, uh, and, and getting on the podcast. And congratulations on the nomination for your, your uh, Momentum Award to the IBMA.
1: Well, thank you. It's uh, it's pretty exciting, and thanks for asking me to be here. Absolutely, man. How do you how do you find out that you get nominated for that? Well, so it's a it's it's a two or three step process. Uh, some somebody has you have to be nominated by or your name has to be submitted through a couple different people involved with the IBMA. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. and then it goes to a board, which is different from the normal IBMA awards, which are voted by the members it's it's a it's a smaller group of people the ibma board that's voting on this stuff I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it works but that's my understanding of it
0: yeah that's awesome though and it's awesome too because you um you, um, you know a lot of times you see a lot of these awards and and um the ibma sometimes t- tend to lead towards um you know like some some traditional style stuff and, and, and well a lot of your playing and, and sure. your things is traditional the billy the billy strings band is pretty progressive out there so it's cool to see that you know, they're looking at all realms of of the bluegrass genres out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to know that the progressive stuff hasn't, you know, com- completely pissed off all of IBM. <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, that's hilarious, man. You know, you guys, I love um. I, I love, I mean, all styles of it. And, um, I, I've not seen you live yet with Billy strings, but I've seen him when he was in Charleston last time. And, um, and just the videos I've seen with you in the band that I've watched on YouTube and what you guys have a really, really unique way in, in, in being that progressive band is you guys have a great way of taking like a traditional song or being in a song that's way out there and just doing this great build up and then dropping in to like, you're just at a regular traditional bluegrass concert. It's seamless. You guys do a really good job with it.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, that's kind of kind of what we're we're trying to do. Um, there's the, in the in the scene that we play in. You know, most people come to bluegrass from other forms of music, you know, rock and roll. I mean, most of the time in that scene, it seems like that's where people come from, mm-hmm. or just the. The jam the jam band world. So a lot of the songs that I grew up listening to, like say like Little Maggie or something like that, sure. a lot of people don't know that. And I, you know, I grew up, you know, I don't remember a time when I didn't know what Little Maggie was.
2: She's drinking away her trouble. And a cordon-
1: yeah i mean I, I i started out really young and my dad my dad played banjo and i remember like my earliest memories were just listening to like hot rise and the Newgrass revival and flatten and scrugs and like a, just really good quality bluegrass that was my upbringing so so dad music you know yeah to me is, is that it's not uh not yacht rock <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs>
0: And She was living in a lonely cabin with the man. Five years she had waited for him as long as, a woman can. as long as a woman can. I don't know. Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, in the Tampa area, about an hour east of Tampa.
0: Wow, no kidding. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. I would I would have um I would've put you in like Kentucky or Tennessee just from that just from that background of music from your dad. So that's well, that's pretty exciting. So was there a did your dad play? Um, like in a bluegrass scene in Tampa. Uh,
1: well, you know, there's there are little pockets of bluegrass everywhere, as you know, mm-hmm. um, here and there. Um, but it, it wasn't exactly a uh, to to say that there were many young people playing bluegrass around me was a uh, would be a huge overstatement. <laughs> sure. Um, there were uh, there were two two kids at my high school. Well, actually, they were there the year before. I went to high school, but they were the only two two kids that I knew that played played bluegrass like it, within like 30 minutes of me. So oh,
0: no kidding. So,
1: so um, but yeah, there was a there was a place called the Bluegrass Parlor in Tampa, mm-hmm. and it was run by a guy named Tom Henderson. And he did a whole lot for bluegrass music in that area. And he had the longest running syndicated radio show in the country wow. until he until he passed away a few years ago. Oh no kidding! Um, and he would uh, he had a band called the Bluegrass Parlor Band, which is what I played in from I guess I was about 12 years old um he he relinquished the band to some younger people he was always trying to get younger people involved in the music mm-hmm. and uh Aubrey Haney who's a you know great mandolin player yeah. fiddle player uh he was in that band it was uh David Crow, who was a uh, another great player bunch of bunch of great players came through came through that band mm-hmm. uh it was it, it was started in, i think like the, mid 80s or something so it was it's been around a long time nice but uh there's there's always been a little bit of bluegrass here and there I mean Vassar Clements is you know the Kissimmee kid
0: player too. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Nobody like that. Nobody love them. <laughs> so what's read you mandolin?
1: Well, uh, so I, like I said, my, my dad, my dad played the banjo and played, played a little mandolin and guitar and stuff. But, uh, my, my brother Corey, who's two years older than me mm-hmm. started playing the banjo and uh, a couple of years later, I didn't even really know what a mandolin was, and my my dad asked me, "Do you want to play a mandolin?" And I was I was pretty apathetic about it. <laughs> I didn't really care either way. I just wanted to play Super Smash Brothers or yeah, you know, just play Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> Absolutely, just like yeah, 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 sure, sure, I'll play it, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, it it took me took me a few years to to really take to it. Um, Actually, it's kind of funny, and I, I've I've never told her this, but like uh, Sierra Hull is kind of the reason that I really started getting serious about playing mandolin. No kidding. Uh, because we grew up doing some some of the same contests, and one in particular was the Smithville Jamboree in Smithville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and. She, and she just came in, just spitting fire, just like she was so so awesome. She like from a, from a very young age.
0: She is so good. Every time I hear something new, it is like what a what an amount of growth. Just when you think, I mean, every time I hear, her, I'm like, wow, she is so good. And then every time I hear something new, I'm like you've got to be kidding me.
2: <laughs> I know. She just, she's even she better. better. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. And and she's always been that way. She's, she's always been fantastic. That's great. Um, but, but playing, playing that contest, I, I was, I, I went into the contest thinking, you know, I do pretty good and I didn't, I didn't place. So I was like, oh, well that, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so it was a, I don't know if you'd say it, it was more of a c- competitive aspect that that got me playing or mm-hmm. what it was, but that that kind of kicked me in into gear, and and then I started taking to it. I went back the next year and I won third place. Oh, nice! That was that was the end of my contest days. <laughs> Never liked being. Judged.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. That's yeah, that's tough. I don't I've never been in a contest. I don't think uh my fragile my fragile mental state could probably take it. I'm impressed that yes. after after losing it going, it didn't feel good. Uh you went back. But I think that's one of the things that um that makes great players um how how people just keep going is like, All right, I can I can do this, you know, instead of just giving up, it's the go back home and work on it some more and and see what happens.
1: For sure, yeah it it can it can be really good or really bad for the ego.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, it seemed to work out for you as you're doing pretty well now.
1: Well, maybe so.
0: <laughs> so what? Um, so when you first started playing mandolin, what did you? Uh, was there like a record or a CD that you really just dug into and started working on a lot? And
1: well, I I worked through a couple books. I I took lessons at that place, the Bluegrass Parlor, mm-hmm. when I was growing up from a guy named. Stephen Stadler and then Jeff Jones taught me as well. Um, And it was, it was a lot of uh, like Soldier's Joy and, you know, Wildwood Flower and those, you know, those simple, simple tunes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I I always, I remember the first, first time I was like, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I want to do was listening to Sam Bush. He was always, he was always my favorite, him and Ronnie McCurry growing up were were my favorites and then i heard chris thele and i was like well that's that's now my
2: favorite
0: <laughs> yeah uh, all three of those guys are just Stellar. Sam Bush has been mentioned uh, every time on this podcast. By the way, every time he is just like the best man. Yeah, so you can't good. talk
1: about mandolin without talking about that guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the uh, Have you seen that documentary, The Revival?
1: Uh, you know what? I actually haven't.
0: Oh my gosh, man! I, I
1: hear it's fantastic. It it is
0: amazing. And just I swear to you, just I like I just hold that guy in such high reg- high regard as a musician and as a person. And I was like, I didn't think I could like Sam Bush anymore. And then I watched that documentary. And I'm like, holy cow. This guy is like the best.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I really need to see that. Yeah. It's
0: excellent. You would love it, man. You would love it. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have, do you remember the first song that you really kind of learned all the way through and you were like, all right, man, this is like a, one that might've been even bit a little bit more complex One you had to kind of dig into.
1: Well, I, I remember Jerusalem Ridge was was always a pretty daunting one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I, I don't I don't know what the what the first first one I ever learned that that I was uh, especially especially proud of, but I remember Jerusalem Ridge was you know it's like three or four parts or whatever it is, right? And so so that was that was a big one, and. Speaking of Sam Bush, I also had a uh, Sam Bush Sam Bush book, which was pretty advanced for a for a beginner player <laughs> right. to to be reading through. But but I I tried it anyways, and there was a song called Sapporo, which is oh yeah, a Newgrass revival tune, great tune, yeah. And and I, I I showed it to my showed it to my dad. Showed the the music to him, and he's like, "Well, that's that's no harder than Jerusalem Ridge." I was like, "Well, it sure sounds like it." <laughs> <laughs> ended up, ended up learning that one, it's, it's still, still a really, really tough one to do. I was doing it about half the speed, you know, of the record or missing half the notes at least. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) When you work on tunes, even do you still, I mean, um, I imagine you still, when you have time, do you still work on tunes and and break things down?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I'm, I'm on the road a good bit these days, but uh, when I, when I come back to Nashville, i do a lot of i do a lot of playing either in jams we have a lot of jams here at here at the house and you know that's that's these days that's where i learn most most of my new fiddle tunes oh nice you know? um but but yeah I, I do go back and refresh and try and try and uh, clean things up a little bit and sure there there's so many songs that i that I have learned over the years that I just, you know, if if you don't continually practice them, you just lose them. And that's, that's happened to me. And, and then I, then I hear one, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a great hornpipe or a great waltz or whatever that I completely forgot about. Right. So.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way. I got to write them down or keep them in my phone and just look at it every now and again and be like, Holy cow. I've completely forgotten
1: how this. Yeah, I know. But you know, still, still some of my favorite tunes to play are the ones that I learned when I was really, really young, like "Soldier's Joy," yeah, I, I always, I, I had a love-hate relationship with it. I just, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a place of love with it now. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and and uh, I, I just that one and Billy in the Low Ground, they always seem pretty fresh.
0: You yeah, know? I love Billy in the Low Ground. That is a um, Frank Wakefield in uh, the, the Red Allen the kitchen tapes I think is the first time I really ever heard it where I was like oh man what oh yeah that? so good gosh I think it was recorded that's... by like David Grisman in the, in the kitchen I believe is that the, I think that's the story behind that album too
1: Oh yeah, you know what? I I don't think I've actually heard that record. Uh, Billy was telling me about that one.
0: Actually. Oh, it's great. There's like parts um, where you can hear like a baby crying in the background, and
1: oh, that's so awesome. Because I if if I remember correctly, that was the rehearsal for the actual album.
0: If you, I think that might be correct. I'll send you a I, link I, to I, it, man. From um, are you on Spotify by chance?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I, I'll, I I'm writing it down
0: and I'll send that. you a link. It's so good, you'll love it. I need to hear that. Absolutely.
1: Frank Wakefield's another one. That's, that dude.
0: Just incredible. There's so many, there's so many like great ones. Like, you know, again, like Sam Bush gets mentioned all the time on here and Thiele, obviously. And then, Mm -hmm. but then you always, there's just so many incredible mandolin players out there that put in all this work and have just hundreds of hours of music out there you know? And oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. And now it's with like the, you have access to all of it. The problem after having to access with all of it, I find though, is back in the day, you know, when I would get, you know, like laps and seven on CD, cause you couldn't stream it. I'd listen to laps and seven mm-hmm. for like a month nonstop, right. you know? And then right. now, you know, with Spotify, you're listening to something, and it reminds you of something else. And next thing you know, if you listen to 10 songs and, and, you know, like half right. an hour, I'm like, Oh man, I miss the days of, I'm not complaining. <laughs> it's great to have access. No, to all of but, it. but man, it's uh, absolutely, it does seem to take away a little bit of that falling in love with like one album. Um,
1: well, I think, I think you, you tend to value things more when you, when you purchase them and you have more invested. Absolutely. It's like if you, uh, if, if you physically go to a concert as opposed to streaming it, you mm-hmm. might, your expectations are higher and I think that I think that goes with buying a physical record and I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody is for just streaming on Spotify sure I mean I I've I've gotten tens of thousands of dollars out of Spotify
0: oh yeah me too
1: (laughs) and it's uh I mean I guess that's just the way things are going but it's uh but I did the. I used to do the same thing. I, I think I bought laps in seven, and I I kept that one in my car for forever. Yeah. And and now it's it, even if I do buy a physical CD, mm-hmm. I don't have as much attachment to it because I know what all I have in my phone. Right. And if I I'm like, oh yeah, what what about that one song? What was it called? Let me just Google these three words. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Exactly. And the other part too it's is
0: fun. the technology does not make it um, easy to buy a physical CD and play it. Like I've got a, a new truck a few years ago. There's no CD player in it. It's all Bluetooth. I bought a new laptop right. last year. There was, I had to buy an external CD player to go along right. with it. It's just like not only are CDs getting phased out, but the places to, <laughs> that you would normally play them in. That's I guess what's great about vinyl is vinyl is a real sit down experience. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to sit down and know you're going to listen
1: to. You can't. You're not going to listen to that on the in the truck. Absolutely, <laughs> and it and it sounds so much better. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It really does. It really does. Do
0: you have any influences that might surprise people in your playing? That kind of maybe, you know, maybe not bluegrass bass, but have kind of crept into your into your playing.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I listened to I listened to a good bit of. Uh, a good bit of rock uh, these days mm-hmm. and uh, a good bit of jazz. You know, like I said, I, I didn't I, I grew up listening to pretty much predominantly bluegrass. You know, the most progressive stuff that I listened to was progressive bluegrass. Cool. So um, I kind of discovered I had to come to the Beatles and to Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and all that stuff on my own. And so so those I mean those are three big ones right there. Yeah. Um uh I I I transcribed a bunch of solos from the strokes. Oh, did you really? Um yeah, which nice. I uh you know it's the same thing with that, you know, learning a solo, you it's like learning fiddletons, they just they come and they go mm-hmm. if you don't keep practicing them. But I I I notice sometimes that I have some of those uh, some of those same ideas um, uh, showing up in my playing. Sure.
0: That's awesome. Yeah speak let's let's talk about your playing for a little bit. One of the things that I really noticed um, spent a little bit of time listening to obviously I listened to the uh, the new Billy String songs that um that, that have been put out. I think there's been two of them now that have been put out online for, for people to check out. Um but then going back and even listening to some of the Missy Rains and the Claire Lynch stuff. And, and see oh, you yeah. live. A couple of the things that I really, really like about your playing I would love to maybe talk to you about it. You know, so Bluegrass, a lot of the, a, a lot of stuff is just tons of notes, tons of notes, you know, just a part of it's probably because there's no sustain and people love playing flashy. But you have, um, you play with a lot of space in your playing, I find, which I think is great. Like it's, you're not afraid to stop playing a little bit. And then I think it just adds to your solos a bunch and 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 then, the other thing I notice is you use a lot of double stops a lot more than than you hear in in a lot of music right now, which is another thing that I really love about your playing. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your technique if that's cool with you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, i I guess I when I do listen to Bluegrass these days, it's more of the traditional. More the traditional stuff like uh, like Bill Monroe and the Stanley Brothers and you know like Red Allen and like all all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Flat and Scruggs, you know, although that's not very mandolin heavy. Flat and Scruggs isn't. But, sure, sure. Um, but that's it's. I just noticed that the tremolo was really predominant in those early recordings, and it's kind of been phased out. Um, just over over time it which is which is really interesting to me it's it's one of the unique characteristics about a mandolin is the ability to tremolo nothing sounds like a tremolo on a mandolin right it's uh and it's a good way it's a good way to kind of save your energy too you can you can it's like in in lieu of having a bow or having sustain in some way you can you can use that Mm -hmm and uh and so i've i kind of gravitated towards doing that and also you know my two of my favorite players are are sam bush and david grisman and Mm -hmm. i think they've got just the perfect tremolos
0: oh absolutely
1: and so uh a while a while ago i i just started focusing on getting my tremolo sounding really good Mm -hmm. how do you go about that well you know it it took me a it took me a while to figure it out but to get that really rich sweet sound out of a tremolo i think you have to actually pick on the neck
0: nice that makes sense
1: and it's uh it, it gives it a gives it a totally different different effect right right um and it it took me years and years to figure that out, but but I think that's how you get get that sound.
0: That's awesome. How do you go about just how do you go about not getting a bunch of pick noise on that neck? Just practice, practice, practice that soft technique.
1: Yeah. Um I don't I don't really I don't really worry about the the pick noise too much. It mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't really bother me that much. Awesome. Uh, you know, if if you hear some tick noise, it's, it's because, because I'm playing in, in that area mm-hmm. and it's just, it just comes with the territory. Sure. So I, I don't really, I don't really care that much.
2: <laughs> and, I, yeah, man. and
1: I, and I guess that's, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't actively think about, uh, playing it clean. Sure. And I, I think that probably helps to actually play it cleaner. Mm-hmm just kind of throw that to the side
0: sure so let's go back to your double stop so you um shapes that you use you you really do move up and down the neck quite a bit and find some unique voicings how did you go about you know find you know finding that path
1: well I I think it's I think there are things that I have heard all my life through fiddle playing and uh, go back to Sam Bush again. Uh, the song "Old Train," that, oh, that man yeah. was solo. That's like I, I used the amazing slowdowner to figure out exactly what he was doing there, mm-hmm. and and that's that was one of the first first times I really broke down what what was going on in that tremolo. um but but yeah that's uh that's that's a it's a good question a lot of times i i just do do these these things and don't actively think about what i'm doing so sure. to, it, it helps it it helps to talk about it but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um there there's another there's another record which i think is some of the best bluegrass mandolin playing i don't know if you've listened to that record it's uh it's called bluegrass reunion
0: no i haven't it's
1: uh it's it's red allen and david grisman and uh herb peterson plays banjo and jim buchanan plays fiddle and jerry garcia's on a couple tracks um, nice but it, it was it was recorded it was recorded in like 1990. It won the bluegrass Grammy for that year. Oh, did really? it really? Yeah, and it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, oddly enough, kind of a forgotten about record. But it's, I, I think I learned more about bluegrass mandolin playing from that record than, than anything.
0: I'm gonna to have to check it out as soon as we as soon as we finish this up today. That's that sounds awesome.
1: It's it's a great one. I you'll love it.
0: Awesome, I can't wait, man. So when do you um when do you decide that this is what you want to pursue?
1: Well, so I I went to business school in Murfreesboro, Tennessee at Middle Tennessee State, and it was it was always kind of the the backup plan mentality Uh um and i was in i was in murphy's row for a couple of years before i got the gig with missy rains um and when i was living in Murfreesboro, I, I might as well have been living in tampa still because nobody nobody really knew that i was there uh-huh. and it's 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 just far enough from nashville uh-huh. to, to where you to where you don't venture out and, and go into town it was you know a good 40 45 minutes sure. so um so i was looking for i was looking for a gig for a few different reasons just because i wanted to play but also because i was paying out of state tuition, oh, man. so I needed yeah. to I needed to find I needed to find a a quote job, <laughs> and and I if I if I played if I played a gig then I would be able to to use that. So I luckily uh, connected with Missy Raines, um who I had met from Nash Camp, oh, uh, nice. which is a which is a camp that I went to as a kid, and uh, and so just started playing with her and would play mostly weekend runs. And, you know, I would, I would do, uh, do schoolwork on the road and, (laughs) uh, do my online quizzes and tests and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and then that, uh, that led to Claire Lynch and, and that was a wonderful experience too. And, and, uh, she, she told me, you know, i I can give you two solid years of work, and then I'm going to more or less retire. Oh no, no kidding! And once that and once that, uh, once that time was up, then the Billy Strings gig came along. So I've I've just kind of been fortunate in the timing of things, and I I haven't really actively. Said this is definitively what I'm going to do, Mm -hmm. but it it's it's it seems like that's where it's going. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, especially with with the success of Billy Strings and everything, it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe this can work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be a kind of a kind of a trip to be on, like the Billy Strings thing. It really just seems to be almost like a bit of a rocket ride in the last couple of years, I would imagine. I mean, you know, going from, you know, when I saw him here in Charleston, he, he played at a killer venue called The Poor House, but it wasn't like still kind mm-hmm. of, you know, building a thing. And I think it might have been a weekend, like a Sunday or a Monday. So it was like, um, you know, it was attended pretty well, but it wasn't like jam packed to now, you know, you guys are headlining festivals, Rolling Stones writing about you guys. I mean, what's that been like?
1: It's, uh, it's pretty surreal. Um, the, the first, the first show I played, actually, this is, this is pretty funny. Uh, they, they needed a mandolin player pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And so they, they flew me in. I knew, I knew Royal, the bass player, Royal Mossad. Yep, yep. I went, uh, playing with Rebecca Frazier and hit and run. Uh, like we did a few tours together. So I, Uh, I connected with him and they flew me out to Baltimore and we didn't really even have a chance to to rehearse. (laughs) Uh, And so get on stage and it's it's a very different experience from the theaters and the, uh, you know, the PACs that I was used to playing. Sure. Uh, And, uh, you know, the the crowd there, it was I think it was called the eight by ten in Baltimore. It was a it was standing room only and it was packed and i was like wow this is this is different from yeah. what i'm used to different in a good way and billy's billy's on stage and he and he says hey pittsburgh how's it going <laughs> in baltimore <laughs> and <laughs> completely the the crowd completely turned on him oh and no and you know, got got a few uh, a, a few groans and boos, but I think what happened is there was a guy wearing a, a Pittsburgh uh, Penguins jersey to the side of the stage. Oh so man. I, I, I think it just threw him off. But that that will be I, I'll never forget that yeah. because that that's a very memorable first show.
0: Oh my gosh! And
1: and it's it has not happened since then. I think I think. <laughs> I think now the the name of of the city that we're playing is is on the set list.
0: I bet. So that (laughs) doesn't happen. In giant letters.
1: I've heard heard bands do that, and that's probably the reason.
0: Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's hilarious, man. (laughs) Yeah, mistakes happen. As as far as mistakes go, it's a pretty pretty innocent one. But, yeah, people – I would imagine that would bump some people out in the crowd like, Pittsburgh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you fly out uh, there. Did you have like – I mean, you know, Billy and being a place with a lot of effects. Did you have? Did you put a pedal board together for that gig, or is, did you just go out there kind of like with your your normal rig at the time? Or how did you approach that? Uh,
1: I I didn't I didn't have a rig. I might not have even had a pickup at the time. No kidding. Um, I'm trying to think if if I did. I I might have gotten one installed before before I left but i i did not have any kind of elaborate setup Mm -hmm. at that time um and i didn't have a di i had to borrow a di i i'm I'm still pretty ignorant when it comes to the electronic side of all the stuff because i've i've played into mics my whole life right so it's a it's a whole whole different whole different world as you know sure um but yeah, now, now I've got, you know, I've got a Grace, Grace DI. Mm-hmm. Which, know, which, one, some, which one do you use? I use the Bix. Okay. Yeah. I use the Bix, which is great. I, I think the, the, the Alex might, might be a better uh, option for me mm-hmm. just because you, you have more, more control and. Yeah. Some mids might, might some mid of
0: those. things as well. Right. Which is sometimes kind of out of control when plugging in a mandolin. Seems
1: right. Like it's and got a little and bit more and options. Yeah, the the Alex has all that mid control. So I think I think that's probably a really good one for the mandolin. So I might might invest in that. Sure. Um but but I've got I've got, you know, I've got a bunch of pedals. There's a there's a good pedal shop in Nashville, probably a a lot of them that I don't know about, but there's one in particular called mm-hmm. East Side Music Supply and they've got tons of tons of pedals. So I'll I'll go in there and kind of explore that stuff because you know there's there's not been a whole lot of research done in the ways of mandolin effects. <laughs> right, right. So so you know, you just have to try out the different guitar effects and see what works.
0: Yeah, what are some of your favorites you're using right now?
1: Well, I've got a sustain pedal. I think it's uh from Game Changer Electronics. Mm-hmm. I think that's the name of it, but it's it looks like a looks like a piano pedal. Oh, no kidding. It's a it's essentially a freeze pedal. But it, it's not. It sometimes those freeze.
0: Oh, it broke up there. you still there. Yeah, sorry, it broke this up there. Is yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, go back um, to the pedal again. Yeah, I'm sorry. still here. Yeah, uh, cool. It's a free. It's like a freeze pedal you were saying.
1: Yeah, so it's like a, it's like a freeze pedal, but it's a lot of those freeze pedals are really abrupt, mm-hmm. and when when you turn it on, it's you know kind of jarring. This one is uh is a little bit more subtle and it kind of rises and falls. Oh nice. And it's uh it's it's a little bit more musical of a pedal. So I really, really dig that one. And I've got a I've got a delay pedal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've got a I've got something that kind of uh kind of sounds like a like a steel drum or an organ or something. Oh no kidding. Uh, like like octave pedal. So when things are getting really weird. Yeah. You know, Bust, bust that one out. (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, you know, got a got a reverb pedal. I think it's a a a proverb.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah.
1: Radial, radial. I think is the company. Okay. Nice. But anyways, uh, yeah, always trying to find new new sounds and stuff. Absolutely. It's 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 hard, you know, because there's there's only been so much research done. (laughs) Right. I mean. I mean, the amount of mandolin players versus guitar players, of course, pedal companies are going to focus their energies on making guitar pedals because it's a much bigger market. It's huge,
0: yeah. Huge. There's a company called Earthquaker Devices. I have a few of their pedals, and they do – they're obviously guitar pedals, but man, they have some really great sounding stuff there dispatch reverb and delay pedal i don't even use the delay on it the reverb sounds so good i have like a, i end up using a separate delay pedal whenever i use it i haven't been doing yeah. it often i just if i have duo gigs with like a singer songwriter if i get hired for something like that i'll usually bring that out and try to pretend i'm tim reynolds from dave matthews and tim (laughs) reynolds never never quite never quite succeeding like i want to but it's fun you know (laughs) but that reverb sounds really really good and i love delay on a mandolin because it really does like going back to the sustain portion of it when you don't have sustain and you can use that delay pedal there's some really cool stuff you can do that can add you know just some depth to your playing that you don't think about
1: absolutely yeah i uh i i should i should say that i i learned i learned a lot about the different pedals to use from the from the green sky bluegrass oh group, man yeah i bet because um, they they have really went down that rabbit hole a lot and they yeah uh, paul hoffman's got some really really cool effects that he's using and i uh and i i picked his brain about some of that stuff and uh, Greg Burns, who was running sound for them at the time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, really, really helped me dial things in. So oh, nice. So being around those guys really, really helped. But what is the um, – I
0: noticed that I saw them. They were in Charleston not too long ago, and um, I went and saw them. I had cool seats like up on the side. Of the uh, venue, the Charleston Music Hall has got these, like, the Lincoln seats, I call them <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you should yeah. probably call them that or not, but that's what they feel like you're off to the side, so you can really right, see I, right. mean, they, I mean, they had the, you know, the when they were switching out, you could see they roll the carpets out and they're just taped off, I'm like, holy cow, those are a giant effects uh, racks coming out or boards for the floor, oh, yeah. but I noticed they have and you guys also have these too, like the thicker cables coming out of the instruments
1: yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah what is that? Well, uh, it's just it's essentially uh, two cables running through uh, a loom, so it it just kind of keeps your your cables together. Oh, okay. So I'm I, I'm using one of those audio technica of, um, like Pro thirty five, one mm-hmm. of the clip on mics. Yep, yep. And I'm I'm blending that with the with the Bix, the Grace Bix. Yeah. And. So all of us who are using the the clip-on mics, which I use one, and both of uh, uh, both of the Billies, Billy Failing and Billy Strings, both use one. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's what that is. I I don't know exact. I I don't know if I don't know if the Green Sky guys are are using clip-on mics or what yeah i'm but, not sure i just um, remember looking that's, at the, that's what we use
2: them for
0: uh, their cables looked huge and i was like what in the world is that and then i noticed um on the uh, i think it was the rig rundown actually with uh billy on Premier guitar that was just on there which by the way Premier guitar let's, let's talk to the mandolin player you got this guy's got a rig <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: where, where were you i was looking forward to yeah, that of the rig know.
0: rundown man so um yeah but i, mean, I noticed it's, that it's Billy. A, had... it's
1: a mini mini guitar
0: yeah exactly come on so maybe that'll <laughs> be a maybe that'll be a feature in the future here for them. So what other um, what other gear? Uh, what's your your mandolin is a I'll never pronounce it right. Is it a, it's a wineman. Wineman. I wasn't sure if it was a Weenman or a wineman.
1: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I before I before E. I before. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and you've and you purchased um, that
0: um rec- kind of well not recently, but I remember seeing Somebody was talking about on the you know the mandolin cafe is a great site and somebody on there had maybe heard about it coming into Groons.
1: Is that where you? Am yeah, I, that's am I on that's the right where track? I got it from. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's yeah I I got it I got it there I uh, I had a couple couple gibson mandolins that I had mm-hmm. uh, some problems with so I was kind of shopping kind of shopping for one and the I was playing a gibson doyle austin oh cool um, ever for well over 10 years, I've, I played, I played two different ones. Um, but I, I was looking for somewhat of a, a a drier sound. Those, those Doyle Lawsons are really, really great, but they, they're so rich. They're so rich. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost too much mandolin. Oh, no kidding. And it's, it's, uh, so I was looking for something that was more mid-rangey. Like those were very, very good on on the highs and really good on the lows, mm-hmm. but I, there was something in the mid-range that kind of lacked to me, to my ear. Sure. So that's what I was. That's what I was looking for, and I went to Gruins and and they've got they've got the the floor of Gruins, which is mostly guitars, and they've got a few mandolins there. Right. And they've got the nice stuff the nice stuff upstairs.
0: Yes. And
1: <laughs> if, if you ask nicely enough, uh, uh, George, uh, Gruen will show you the stuff and, you know, yeah. So I went, I went up there and, and he had just gotten this wine man mandolin in, which it's the third one that, that, uh, Wes and Will had ever built, which no, is no crazy. Kidding. It's just number three. Wow. Yeah. They, they haven't built very many, and uh george saw the mandolin and he wanted to exclusively sell their mandolins and and i i see why they're fantastic instruments right right that's awesome um, so i uh you know i just i i bought that and you know i've have since met the guys who who build them and they're they're great guys they're out of Asheville. Oh, cool. Yeah. A uh, little, little outside of Asheville, mm-hmm. but they're, uh, yeah, it's a great, great company. Josh Rilko, who plays with Lindsey Lou. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's got, I, he's got number five or six or seven. Um, and there's, there's another player who's in a, he's in a great band. I don't know if I, if I'm at Liberty to say if he's getting one or not, but I, <laughs> I think he might, he might be getting one right as on. well. So nice. Happy to see that they're, they're taken off. Yeah, that's great. But it's, it's a really dry sounding mandolin. You know, if the strings are dead, mm-hmm. it's it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta like which which I love keeps you on top of your game. Sure. What do you what do you string it up with? The Dario Exp 75s Oh I yeah. Think.
0: I use the uh, I use those as well. I love them.
1: It's hard to beat them. It it's hard is man,
0: them. and I love the. Um, I uh, well playing in Charleston, the humidity like if I don't use anything that's coated, I get two gigs tops out of them, and I'm changing strings. And these EXPs really last a long time. And what I really like about them even more than like the elixirs is I think the elixirs have this real high endy sound that it takes a little while to wear out.
1: Absolutely. I feel the same way. Yeah. And where the EXPs,
0: you put them on and right away, they just sound, there's a little bit of that, but not, I mean, it just, they just sound good right off the bat and they last way longer than anything I've used. So I love them. Oh yeah.
1: I, I don't even, I don't even bother buying strings that aren't coded. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's not worth the time to put them on.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause they don't last. It's,
1: you're, <laughs> you're better off playing with dead EXPs. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. That's mean honestly, man. Yeah, that's true.
1: Oh, I, you- I guess these are EXP 74s. I'm 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 looking at a pack now. Oh, okay. And I've been, I've been trying the, the, have you tried the custom mediums? You know what? I
0: just talked to um Tommy Norris from Barefoot Movement yesterday and he just told me about them. So of course it, I just ordered a bunch of seventy fives though, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they'll sure, be here today. Sure.
1: But I'm gonna definitely—is that what you've been using then, the customs? No, but uh, I usually use the the standard set. But mm-hmm. the the customs, I I I think Ronnie McCurry turned me on to them. Oh, nice. Um, it's just it's instead of uh, instead of an eleven, it's an eleven and a half.
0: Okay, for yeah. the First string. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I have the seventy fives, and that's the eleven and a half on it and i think the customs might have just a little bit of a uh, a smaller g string i believe possibly i'm not i'm not 100% i'd have to look that up
1: maybe maybe so somebody's going to so. listen to
0: this and be like uh yeah that's exactly what it is or they're going to have a hateful that's email right. of like jeez come on man <laughs> somebody somebody knows out there absolutely how about um picks what
1: do you use for picks i've been i've been using a a blue chip mm-hmm. teardrop oh nice it's the uh the TD fifty.
0: Oh, okay. You know what? I think uh, Jenny Lynn from Delamay may use that. I just talked to her last week, and I'm I'm almost positive. I know she uses a smaller pick anyway, and that might have been the the model she mentioned.
1: Yeah, I I, I had used Proplex and Weegans and the 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 big blue chip, the Chris Thiele, the CT fifty five, and I I used I used those for for years, and and I really really loved them. Um, but then I, I just started experimenting with them and, you know, I remembered hearing that Stan Bush just uses a Fender heavy.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, so that's what I used a Fender, a Fender heavy or like, you know, one of those cheap plastic picks on the new record. Oh, no kidding. Uh, the new Billy strings record. Yeah. Cause I, I just, I, I wanted to get, there is a different sound to it you know and mm-hmm. you can you can really bear down and play harder and you it doesn't uh doesn't sound like you're playing all that hard sure yeah, so that's it's awesome. uh but they just wear out too fast yeah so they, that's, yeah. that's why i'm using the the blue chip teardrop these days and i just turn it to the side
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh just the
0: sam bush method (laughs) there you go it actually um i have one of his picks it says some bish on it instead of sam bush which i think (laughs) is hilarious man (laughs) yeah
1: oh that's great yeah
0: he's that's so you got the the new billy strings album let's talk a little about that um billy strings album uh the, the podcast is coming out the week that the album comes out so this will be on wednesday the album i believe will be coming out on a friday and um Let's talk about that. I'm excited to hear that. There's two songs out there that people can go. I'm going to play samples of those in the background, and then I'll send some links so people can check them out as well.
2: Cold, cold ashes on the ground Nothing lost and nothing failed. Friends and loved
0: ones down. Well, um, did you record that in Nashville?
1: Yeah, we recorded at, at two different studios. We recorded at Blackbird mm-hmm. and Southern Ground. Oh nice, man. Which are two of two of the best in, in my opinion in Nashville. Sure. Um and it it was a it was a great, great experience. Uh, those, you, you feel, you feel like, uh I don't know, you feel like Mick Jagger walking into Blackbird or <laughs> Southern Ground. It's like, I, was, I don't, I don't belong here. Oh, somebody, man. somebody else belongs here. Oh, but yeah, it nice.
2: was, it was,
1: it was fantastic. We, we did about, it was eight or eight or nine days of straight straight studio time we had one day in between we mm-hmm. we had a block of time at blackbird and a block of time at southern ground and just knocked it all out and uh it was uh it was great it was uh it was really really fun jerry douglas on on a on a track or two nice. so that was a that was a highlight for man, sure man do you uh track live when you guys tracked those songs we tried to keep everything as live as possible sure um there was a there was one one song which actually I is a song that I wrote that Billy helped me finish um, that that Jerry played on and that that recording I think is 100%
0: live. Oh, cool, man. When? What's the name of that tune? It's called Everything's the Same. And that's great that you have a cut on the Billy Strings album which I think probably says a lot about type of person that Billy Strings is, you know, some people are when their their names on the uh when their names on the the truck so to speak. It's like, "Hey man, yeah, I know you got songs, but I've got songs." But it's great that Billy was right. open-minded to uh to let you have a track on there, which is that's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was he was really open to the idea of uh of everybody you know just everybody throwing everything in the pot and mm-hmm. uh and so i threw a couple songs in there and uh the one that ended up getting uh ended up getting cut was uh, a pretty straight ahead bluegrass tune mm-hmm. so um it just it, it worked out and yeah he was he was very uh, very open to all that and so it worked out perfectly
0: that's great man yeah that's great did you guys do a lot of um rehearsals or the for um going into the studio or did you do a lot of that on the road because you guys are touring all the time
1: yeah so uh, i remember one time we before a gig we we pulled into a little park and kind of went over some some of the new songs but but primarily we went to a went to a house in nashville and and uh just set a set aside three days or so to you know work on arrangements and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know talk things over and that's where that's where most of that went down
0: that's awesome that's awesome so you worked with pretty great pre- some pretty great people I mean just looking at some of the uh, albums that you've recorded on you've I mean you've been on projects that have had like Bela Fleck and you've like Mike Marshall had selected you for um for uh, what was that called? The young, uh, like the young American mandolin ensemble—is that what that was?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, what are some pieces of advice that some of these you are around these incredible players that are that have just, uh, you know, years and years and years of experience? What are some pieces of advice that these guys have given you that have really kind of that you've kept with you and carried on that drive you forward? Well,
1: one of the most memorable one of the most memorable, uh, pieces of advice. It was, it was more, more just like basic technique kind of stuff. I I had a lesson with Chris Dealey when I was, when I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something like that. Cool. And, you know, I, I was, I was trying to play fast and, you know, I was, you know, just I I thought I knew the melody to these songs, but really I was not paying enough attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what w- at that point I was kind of I was using a different kind of grip. I'm I don't know how to exactly tell you uh, without without showing you, but sure. I I it was, it was almost like a claw that I was using. I think Jimmy Gidrow uh, uses this kind of technique. And I think Pat Matheny kind of does this too, oh, no but I, I did, I didn't intentionally do this, but I'm left-handed. So maybe that has something to do with it. Oh, right. On. But, but, uh, I was using, using two fingers on one side of the pick, my, my index and middle finger. And then, you know, my thumb on the back. Oh, okay. Wow, and, yeah. And, and, and Chris just kind of pointed that out and he's like, He's like, well, that's, that's not, that's not wrong. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of a, uh, kind of an, an electric guitar uh, pick hold, uh-huh. which, th- which that's fine. But, but uh, he showed me like how he was holding his and it took me, took me until I, I guess, I guess it was right around when I went off to college to actually take that advice and that that observation that he made Mm -hmm. and correct that and once i did that my my right hand really was freed up
0: yeah you you do just watching your videos you're i really uh you get a lot of sound out of your right hand technique with a with very i want to say little movement but it's very economical does that make sense like you sure sure. and i think that um and again one of the things i like to talk to people about too is um, like their right hand technique because I think it's it's super important. I mean, especially in mandolin, and you've played in a lot of like mics, So I would, how did you approach, um, you know, going from chopping away into playing f- quick leads or tremolo? Did you do you change the way you hold your pick and or the grip? Did you change your hand? Because you're pretty, you're really smooth with it. It looks very, very smooth. You know, is that something that just was natural to you, or did you work at it?
1: I, I, definitely worked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, moving, moving from a solo to, to chopping that's, uh, you know, if, if you're working a mic, it, I think it's a little, it's a little easier. Sure. Um, cause you, you know, you step up for the solos, you step back and, you know, it's pretty, pretty intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with a DI you kind of have to use a boost, which is which is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, my my pick hold never changes, um, but but I might have more of an open hand at some points. Sure. Uh, some you know if, if I'm trying if I'm trying to achieve a certain sound, I might have more of a closed hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm sometimes if I'm doing tremolos, like my hand is looser and like I might have three fingers free. You know, just. Um, it just depends on, you know, one, on the speed of the song, what what kind of sound that I'm trying to get, and uh, how tired I am from <laughs> <laughs> from the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how do you um, how do you approach going into a blazing song? Because you guys have some you guys have some songs that you play with Billy Strings that are, uh, you know, way up there in the BPM areas.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, Playing playing a fast a really fast song, that's a good time to implement some tremolos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and I've I've never never uh, came into a situation where it's like oh you're not playing enough notes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, so you, sure. you can get away with it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I I grew up playing playing with uh, my my brother Corey and uh, he's a banjo player, and you know, banjo players love to play fast. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so, especially young banjo players. <laughs> so, so, and he would he would like to play really fast in the key of B,
2: which oh, was
1: yeah. you know mandolin player's worst nightmare. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> so, I think I think I learned I learned how to play fast from being around him, mm-hmm. and just uh, you know that that young teenage angst.
0: Yeah, that's, it's interesting you say that though, because in um, in in the recordings, like the Missy Raines and the Claire Lynch, your your solos are really tasteful as well. You know what I mean? So it's interesting to hear that you know you played fast at a young age because you have a real seasoned um, soloings solos on those albums. It's it's they sound great, man, and I, that's one of the things I really like about your playing as well. Is again, it's just like that space, and you're not afraid to to let a solo breathe. So you've you've uh you've fallen from the trap of having to play fast every time that you play. So that's great man. And I think it's impressive. That's what I really like about really like about your playing is that it's just not like you know there's some, you know there's space in there and melody and you know maybe that came a little bit from that Thiele um piece of advice about, you know, finding those melodies and
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely uh I appreciate you saying that it's, it's taken me a long time to kind of scale back what, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I've, I used to try and do a lot of triplets and that kind of stuff. And when I'd listen back and I'd, I'd hear it, I'd be like, well, that, that just doesn't, that's not, doesn't sound appropriate. And it, and it doesn't, it doesn't sound like you know, like Chris Thiele or whatever I'm, you know, I have in my mind. <laughs> right, you right. Know? Yeah. So, so I, I actively chose to not play a bunch of triplets. And I, I had to, I had to remind myself, hey, you, you know, you don't want to be doing this. You know, don't, don't go, don't go that route. Don't, don't do it. How about you try a tremolo instead? Yeah. So it, it just, it just took, it took me a while of just like, uh, hearing hearing back what I had been playing and just detesting it, <laughs> and just just tweaking it and, and and figuring out what what I wanted to what I wanted to to sound like. And I I noticed that the less that I played, the more that I liked liked how it sounded. Mm-hmm. So you know, and probably listening to a lot of country music and stuff like that. A lot a lot of traditional country. It's it's so so much about the the melodies and
0: oh for sure
1: you know or like you know Neil Young he could just he could take the simplest melody but it's just it's emphasizing this one note or putting this note in front or behind of the beat just like a millisecond and like that stuff is way more powerful than than a flashy you know two five one oh
0: absolutely absolutely and and I love like those yeah. old country songs like whenever we break out like a uh like a George Jones or a Hank Sr. or Ernest Tubb or something like that when we're playing. Oh, yeah. And it, they're so fun to solo over because all you really, I mean, you can find the melody, play some double stops over those melodies, and they just, it's so musical sounding, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, I find it's always, like, fun to, uh, those songs are almost built for that. Like, when you solo, they're not built for, like, fast triplets and crazy stuff. That's, you know, it's just right, like they sound right. perfect if you just play along with the song, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you don't want to play bebop over red-haired boy. <laughs> right. You know, just some, some things, it's like, you know, it's like there's there's probably a reason that you don't see cucumbers on a hamburger all the time.
0: <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a cucumber on a hamburger, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's well, probably there's, a pretty good
1: reason. Yeah, probably a good reason. The, oh. the perfect hamburger's all, already been made. <laughs> exactly.
0: So. Oh, my God, that's hilarious, man. So, um, one of the things I like to ask every guest that I have on this podcast, yeah, ten minutes a day to um, recommend playing to somebody just to help themselves get better. What is something that you would recommend them doing?
1: Well, I, I suppose it depends on where you are as a player. Uh, in any stage of your playing, it, it never hurts to work on the pick stroke.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, one thing that I I do, and it. Sometimes I do this before I go on stage or, you know, sitting and watching TV or whatever Um, with a metronome, just up, down, up, down, trying to get the same amount of intensity out of every note Mm -hmm. and try that up and down the neck. Uh, Another thing, another thing, you know, refreshing on on fiddle tunes or trying to play, say, you know, Soldier's Joy, for example, and. That's usually in the key of D. Mm-hmm. Try doing it in the key of A and then try doing it in B flat. Right. Or yep. try doing it in E flat or doing it in D minor or try, try doing it in uh seven, four timing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, just thinking, thinking about, thinking about those things helps you to not, not get trapped in, in the uh it's it's good to stick to the melody but it's it can also be it can also be somewhat constricting Mm -hmm. so i i think it i think it helps to do that but you know 10 minutes i mean that might be a little (laughs) might be a little much to soldier's joy in seven, seven, four.
0: (laughs) Right. But something to work to, you know what I mean? Spend, spend, maybe spend a week doing that 10 minutes a day in the key of A instead of, instead of D and then spending, um, you know, maybe the next week trying to bump it up. And, and again, I always find though, whenever I tell myself, I'm going to play like 10 minutes a day, it ends up being way longer than 10 minutes. And I think that's kind of like almost like a little mental trick to, to for people to try and play more is if you just tell yourself 10 minutes most of the time you're going to enjoy it so much that it's going to be way over the 10 minute mark and you're going to make some progression quicker than you expect
1: oh absolutely because if you always try to sit down and
0: like i'm going to play for an hour it's now it's like a task you know what i mean right right right. i don't have an hour to carve out you know but if you're just like all right 10 minutes i you know next thing you know it could be an hour could be two hours you know
1: sure sure so. Well, I I think it helps going, going into it with that, with that mentality. And it's, it's a little less daunting that way.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I've definitely done the thing where I'm like, I'm going to work on some stuff for like four hours today. I wake up and I'm like, how, oh, what was I thinking? I mean, four no. hours. What am I doing, <laughs> man? <laughs> you know? So, and then, um, the, the podcast is called Mandolins and Beer. I don't know if you have any particular beers that you enjoy or anything like that or one you recommend.
1: Yeah. Well, um, Well, so I live in Nashville Mm -hmm. and one of, one of my, one of my favorite beers is, uh, is it's called chicken scratch. It's like a, it's a Pilsner. It's out of the little Harpeth brewery. Oh, okay. Um, if I, if I go out of my way, uh, to, to get something that I really like, then that, that would be, that would be it in Nashville. It's a really just light, light beer. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, I just go to the gas station and get some Motello.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, that's awesome, man. Yeah, there's some great breweries. Yeah. I love, uh, I love the Jackalope Brewery. Every time I'm up in Nashville, I try to, uh, try to stop over there and. And, oh,
1: yeah, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, I like grab up there. I don't get up there enough, though, but uh, they got some great Well, ones Jackalope's
1: out. great because it's conveniently located next to Carter's yeah. Carter oh, yeah. Vintage Guitars. Right,
0: much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what we should do is go play some mandolins and maybe go have some beers. Yeah, we should probably go back and play some mandolins. <laughs> yeah, right. She you loves know, it. Let go get some more beers. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, hey, man, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to you. Congratulations on A, the nomination for the momentum award be the release that's going to be coming out here this week with Billy strings. Um, and congrats just on all the success, man. That's, it's great to see it happening for you.
1: Well, thanks so much. And thanks for having me.
0: Dude. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. And there you have it. Great conversation with Jared Walker. Reminder their new album home, Billy strings, new album, uh, September 27th, available wherever you get your music. So get out there and support them. Go see them live. They are incredible. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please go to mandolinsandbeer.com and go to the contact page. Drop me a line. Um, Buy some merch. Tell me if you want a hat or not. I think I'm going to order some hats. They look great. You'll see the pictures on the website
2: as well. Uh, Cheers, everybody.